Well, I'm going to ask then that you will open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter number 3, and when you find that, that you would stand for the reading of God's Word. And I uh, really believe that we're where we are to be at, uh, where God wants us to be at, because I was praying about um, what, what we should be, obviously should pray about what we should be preaching, and, and it's down to a couple uh couple thoughts and a couple different portions of scripture and then Lord just revealed it and uh, we'll share that later on in the message. But um, I, I clearly know where, where this, uh, where we're going to be, be at tonight and, um, and uh, so I'm uh, praying the Lord will help me to preach it in the, in the right spirit, but it will be confrontational, <laughs> you know, and, and, and as much as, well, this is Wednesday night, we don't, I mean, Really, we're just in the middle of a week here. I mean, can, but but this is church family, really, and uh, I'm thankful for everyone that's here, and uh, not necessarily so much saying, "Hey, this is because of something that's going on," as much as it could be more maintenance and preventative than it is something that you're necessarily doing. But I have a feeling that it's not only preventative that we're going to see tonight. It's probably something that we're honest with ourselves, we have to confront in our own lives. So I want you to read and uh, read along with me as I, as I uh, follow along with me as I read in Revelation chapter number three. And it says in verse number one, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast the name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." Notice, uh, go back to verse number one, and I want you to listen to this, really, it's a very condemning statement that the Lord makes here. He says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. I mean, Jesus just cut right to the quick, right to the chase, and makes this statement, you have a name that thou livest, but are dead. And uh, we're going to try to understand what uh, the Lord would have us for uh, in this chapter or in these verses tonight. Let's pray and then we'll be seated. God, I, as we open up your word tonight, and I feel that there's probably no, no more relevant text that we as believers and as churches in our day in the culture that we find ourselves in and where we live at, God, that what you have for us 
in these verses here are so relevant for us today. And God, I want to pray that you will help uh, the communication of your word to be in such a way that it's in a right spirit, but it's also received in a right way. So God, please give us open hearts to receive your word. And please allow your word to shape and to guide and to correct and to mold us into what you would want us to be. God, I just pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> well, doubtless there are, you know, you, anything you study, there's probably countless uh, messages and sermons that have been, been done. Uh, done about texts, and, and when I'm studying, I like to read, read a bunch, and, and, I, and I just keep reading probably, sometimes to my, my own, own fault sometimes, and, uh, but when I was reading through this and about the letter uh, to the church in Sardis here, I, I, I found a couple illustrations that, that were used to introduce this, this, um, this text, this letter to the church in, in Sardis here, and, and really... They were so good that I wanted to share those with you. One, one guy, as he was preaching this, he introduced it this way. He said, imagine you are crawling, scorched, near death, across a hot, burning desert. You're dying of thirst and close to perishing. But ahead of you, you see a sign that reads, cool, clear, life-giving water only five miles ahead. The sign gives you renewed energy, new hope, and you continue your tormenting crawl across the parched sand. As you arrived at the promised place, you see a magnificent building, radiant in its beauty. The sign outside invites you in, even beckoning you with a promise of life-giving water. So you crawl through the entrance into a glorious building, and there before you is the promised well, with a bucket ready to be let down and filled with water to quench your thirst and to pour life back into your body. When the, uh, with the last bit of your strength, you lower the bucket into the well, expecting a splash, the bucket hits the water, but it never comes. The only sound is the dull thud of the bucket hitting the bottom. You think that perhaps you are, you're just delirious. So you reel in the bucket only to find it full of dust. Dust that cannot quench your thirst, but dust that only deepens the thirst and destroys all hope. Sound far-fetched? This is the experience of many people who go to God's house expecting to be filled and fed with, with the water and bread of life, only to find all the trappings and all the rituals, but no help or hope for all those who made their way there. That's a pretty pretty thought-provoking state, statement and illustration that this, this individual came up with. Listen to this other, this other, uh, this other illustration here, and we'll draw, draw a couple of truths here. It says, once there was this young preacher who was known for doing eccentric things. During the first few years of his service at his first church, this eccentric pastor became very discouraged and finally told the congregation uh, that their church was dead. He announced that he intended to do its funeral next Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning arrived, and uh, he had invited everyone to the service, and when they had come in, uh, they, the, the members of the church uh, saw their pastor had placed the casket 
uh, in, in front of the pulpit there. And standing by it, he began his sermon by saying, these, saying this. Now, some of you may not agree with me that our church is dead. So in order to convince you, I'm going to ask you some uh, to come forward and view the remains. So the, this pastor said, I want you to come forward and I'm going to give you the remains and show you that our church is dead. So the, uh, the members of the church, they lined up and they began to file across the, the front there and across and look in, into the casket there. And as they were look, as they would go forward and they looked in the casket there and as they filed one by one, they saw that the pastor had placed a mirror inside the casket. And one by one, every person looked in, in there and uh, they, they got to see their own reflection in the mirror. Now, when we, those two illustrations reveal to me two very alarming and scary truths. The first one is this is that a church may look right, it may be doing right, but instead of being full of life, it is dead. Now that's to me scary, that you could look right, you could have all the programs, you could have Sunday school, you could have ushers, you could have a music program, and you could have all the conveyance that you have life, but actually be full of death. That's alarming to me. But the second truth is just as, as, if not more alarming, is this, that I as an individual may be the cause of why my church is dead. Now that, that's, a, that's an alarming thought, that I, through my life, could be the reason the life is being sucked out of or drawn out of my church. Now, that, to me, that's kind of alarming. To think that, one, I could be in a place that looks alive but be dead, but I could also be the catalyst or the agent which is causing death within my church. Now, this is the thought that we're coming to when we look at the letter to the church in Sardis here. When we look at the letter to the church in Sardis, that Christ is confronting uh, the issue of a group of believers that were killing their church. When we read the book of Sardis, this is not a positive letter. Christ offers nothing positive to this church. But he said, what you are doing right now is this, is you are killing your church. And when I read a letter like that, and when you read the scriptures, you should step back and go, what is going on in this church? That Christ's verdict on them is you are killing this church here by what you are doing. And when I read that, I want to say, I don't want to do what they are doing. I don't want to be the individual that would be taking life away from my church. I would want to be the individual that's putting life into my church. And to have that understanding then is to look at this letter with an open heart, with open eyes, and be willing to let God speak to you about what's going on. Because he is not just confronting the church in Sardis here. I'm telling you, these are timeless truths that can affect all churches for all times, all people, regardless of where you're at. 
and it begs us to confront our own selves over this subject matter and not just say, well, that was that church because that church can be our church. And so when we look at this and we look at the, the church in, in, in Sardis here, really the, the problem that is going on is pretty easy to figure out and to understand what, what is taking place. To understand really the, the, um, the problem, the spiritual issue that is going on is to look at it in its historical context. Because what the church was being spiritually was being a reflection of what the, the city itself was historically. And we know, we know this about, about uh, Sardis. Sardis was a city that was built upon a plateau. It had sharp cliffs on either side of it. It was, it was a very secure place. You weren't just going to march an army into this city here. It was, it was, very, it was very well secured. And it was a, it was a very financially prosperous town. It, it was known uh, uh, primarily for, for, dying, for dying cloth. That's why Christ would talk about raiment. But their wealth wasn't just based upon textile. They, were, they had great uh, worth in this precious metals industry. Now, you may have heard of a, 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 of a, a fable before, a story, a legend of a, of a man named King Midas. If you've heard of King Midas before, everything that he touched turned to gold, and he basically repented of ever wanting to have that wish and desire, so he was told by the gods to go wash in the river, I believe, Pactolus. And when he washed his hands, put his hands in there, all that ability drained out of him. But the, but the legend would go on to say that that gold that ran out would also landed in the, the sand of the shores of this river. And it is this very river that legend has it that ran through the city of Sardis. And it was at the city of Sardis that their wealth, they were a very rich town based upon the gold industry in the town. And so much so that uh, history tells us that there was a man named uh, King, King Cretius, who had a net value of that time at a, at a conservative $320 billion. I looked it up. That was about $100 billion more than anybody else in our day and age right now. The richest person in the world is at like $220 billion if Google's correct. Why do you bring up all of that? This town was very comfortable. They were, they were at ease. No one's attacking us. No one can destroy us. And uh, they became very complacent where they were at. We have money, we have goods, we are rich. No, everything, is, everything is awesome. Lego world for them. Everything is awesome. But you know what? History also tells us this. It didn't just happen once to this city, but it happened twice. See, there's this king in the Bible that we know about. His name is Cyrus. Cyrus, as he was out conquering, came up to Sardis. And he gave a challenge to his army and he said, if someone can figure out how to conquer this city here and to overcome the fortress that it is, I will give you great rewards. 
And so their soldiers started putting their minds together, but there was this one soldier that was very, uh, uh, very astute. He just sat there and watched it. And he watched it day after day after day. And then finally, on the 14th day, he watched a soldier that was inside the city accidentally drop his helmet over the side. And so he watched him as he came down the side of the cliff wall, grabbed his helmet, and went back up. And, he, and this soldier went to Cyrus and he said, I got it figured out. This is how you're going to do it. So Cyrus essentially hired, took out of his own army, SEAL Team 6, to go and take and enter into this city. Basically, he took hand-picked soldiers because he thought, I can, I'm going to take the best because they're going to be able to go in and with sheer force and violence open up the gates to the city. And they went up there. They crawled up there, led by this guy who had been watching. He knew the path. He had it memorized. And you know what they found when they got up there? Nobody was there. They literally walked to the front gates and opened it up because they never thought in a million years that anyone, they became complacent. They didn't think anyone would ever come up there. And what's even more remarkable, the same Cyrus who conquered it, they would also be conquered themselves because they would fall asleep that nobody's ever going to take them. And then Alexander would go in there and repeat the same thing. They became, they became complacent in the situation that they had found, found, them, found themselves in. And so the church in Sardis, what had historically been a problem for the city, understand that they were that, they were that spiritually. See, complacency is a feeling of quiet pleasure or security. Often while unaware of potential danger, defect, or the like, self-satisfaction or smug satisfaction with existing uh, situation and condition. Another word that's related to that is apathy, having or showing little or no interest, concern or emotion, and it can also mean uh, indifferent, listless, and unresponsive. See, this church had become this. And when you look back over the other church letters, you read that, you'll read that there's that the false doctrines of the Nicolaitans, the false doctrine of, of Balaam. You'll re read about that, that prophetess Jezebel, that, that false teacher teaching in the church in Thyatira. You read about Smyrna not submitting themselves to the culture and facing persecution and opposition for their faith and even willing to die for their faith. And Christ gave this glowing recommendation to them. But you, when you read Sardis, you don't read any of that. There's no false doctrine being mentioned. There's no persecution going on. There's no false teachers going on. The reason why is they were in a calm, peaceful, secure situation. Everything was going well for this church, so to speak. And they just were having church. They had a name. They had a reputation. They had a name in the community. They're probably like, that's a really good church. If you're, in, if you're in Sardis, that's a really good church to go down there and visit. And man, have you seen the facade that they're building there? I mean, they just put on a new Sunday school wing. I mean, this, this place is awesome. And you know what they're doing for their community? They have barbecues. They have outreaches. I mean, they even have a bouncy house in the middle of summer for some odd known reason. That's such a great place to go. And they were big on themselves. They had a name. They had a reputation. And, but they were complacent. And Christ, as he comes to them, shows, 
I am not going to turn a blind eye to complacency. See, he said, I come to you. I am the one that has the seven spirits of God. Now, it's not dealing with that there are seven different spirits that come out from God, but seven is a number of perfection. Seven is a number of completion. So what Christ is saying, I am coming to you in the fullness and the power and the complete working of the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, I'm telling you this, that is alarming. Because in chapter number five in Revelation, it says that these seven spirits go throughout the whole earth. They don't go throughout the whole earth because they're on vacation. They go all through the whole earth because God is searching the whole earth. That everything comes under his observation. Nothing is hid from them. Nothing gets by them. And what Jesus is saying, you may have a name and reputation to everybody else that everything is good, but nothing gets by me. You think you can pull the wool over other people's eyes, but there's no pulling the wool over my eyes. Because everything is naked and open unto me. I see it all. And he says, this is, this is something I am not going to turn a blind eye to. He says, I know thy works. I know what's going on here. And you think that I'm just going to ignore it? You think it's not as bad as the doctrine of Balaam or the doctrine, the doctrine of, uh, um, of the Nicolaitans or some of the other problems in the other church? But I'm just telling you this. This is the first one that says you're dead. And this isn't something I'm just going to gloss over and just, uh, it's, it's okay, it's, it's not that bad. No, what Jesus is trying to say to, you, say to them is that, that complacency, that it must be confronted because it was killing their church. The words in Sardis were telling them that basically Christ said, I know what you're, you're up to. I know you have a good reputation in town. I, 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 know, I know that you've been a shining light in the community. I know those things. But you know what? But you're dead. By dead, I want you to realize that by death, it obviously doesn't mean that the, the church had ceased to exist. Or why is he, who's he writing a letter to? By if something's dead, and in the biblical way we look at it, is they were lacking life and power. Zeal was, zeal was gone. There was, there was listlessness going on here. And, and so Sardis was an a, a example of really what Christ was warning to the church in Ephesus about you have works, but you've left your first love. Get your love back. Sardis had dropped love off a long time ago. They were going through all the works, and you can name the name of Christ with them, but there was no love behind them. But they were done in the name of Christ. There was no love behind them. They were dead. They were dead works. And so you go back and look at how Jesus approaches the church and you see the need for complacency because he comes to them in the fullness and the power of the Spirit. Now the Spirit, I know this, that the Bible says that the Spirit giveth life. He's coming to them in the Spirit because they need life. They need to be resurrected. In other words, they needed to be revived. There needed to be revival that needed to take place in their life. And so when we look at this, that Christ is saying, here is a church, an example, my church, a candlestick, one that I hold its messenger even in my hand. He's saying, this church has developed a name but is dead. They have become complacent. And it is the same thing that we have to guard, that we have to deal with in our own time. 
and in all the different issues that are going on in these churches, I think I would make the argument that the easiest problem to have in a church, especially in a Western world that we find ourselves in the Western world and in a developed country, we are not living in a third world country. We might act crazy and we might do all these things, but even on our worst day, we're not a third world country. We are a developed nation in this world. And if there's one issue that is predominant, I believe, in the churches is this, this issue of complacency among God's churches and his people. Because when you look at the culture, you look at the culture uh, around us, or you look at where we even live, live right now, I mean, just look how good we have it. I mean, we really... I mean, to be honest with you, you have not really ever suffered for Jesus. You never, you, you really haven't. Well, my, I have my boss here. I was going to use it as an illustration. He's probably going to get mad here. But, but your boss, your, your boss may do something for you that's, that he doesn't approve of your walk and relationship with Christ. and may do something about it. And you just say, well, you don't know how bad I got it at work. Yeah, 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 yeah but... Is that really the suffering, really suffering when you have an inconvenience one day at work? It's not. We don't, we don't know what suffering is. We don't know what it's like to be, be one day collecting a paycheck and another day be in abject poverty where you can't even go down to the market to buy a loaf of bread. I mean, you don't know what that's like. I don't know what that's like. I mean, we live in a wealthy state. Even the poorest in this room is living better than most of the people in this world. It's true. Well, I'm behind every month. Yeah, but you're still way ahead of a lot of people in this world where they're making in a year what you make in a week. We're pretty good off. Many of us probably have a decent house. <laughs> Many of us probably go home and we have a selection of the food we want to eat. You came to church tonight, you if you, you probably could go to your closet and, and choose the outfit you wanted to wear. <laughs> probably when it gets hot this summer, most of us probably have air conditioning. I'm just telling you this. Most of us in this Western culture, we live in a very secure environment, really a, 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 a safe environment, and an environment that not only are our needs met, but we even get to buy some toys now and then. Not that I'm... No one, not that God's against toys, but I'm just trying to tell you, we don't really have it pretty good. Life is, life is, is, is pretty, pretty settled. And uh, really, I mean, could you think of a better place in, to live at in this world than where we're at right now? Even with messed up politics, I still like living where I'm at right now. It's a good place. Yep. But you know what? So it's easy. We live in an, in an environment that will foster and encourage complacency. But not just that. In our churches, it's, when you just look at the church itself, it's real easy to be, become complacent. See, when I was at Bible college, and, uh, and when I was finishing up Bible college, my last year of Bible college, and I just say this by way of illustration, is my last year I drove from Oklahoma City to Wellington, Kansas, which was a two-hour drive, one way, and to take over the work that Pastor, our Brother Hagen had at that time. And it was down to one person. Okay? So imagine going to a service with just one person in the pew. 
And then going, if you're familiar with Southwest Baptist Church, then we would, on the other times, we would be at Southwest Baptist Church. So you go from one to the thousands. And there's times I'm honestly sat there and like, do the people who go to this church understand what they have? Do they understand what they have because I know now what it took to get to where they're at? Do those that are coming know where they're at and how it took to get there? You see, it's real easy to get complacent in, 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 in our church. Can we just even take our church as an example? Because I wasn't here when it got started. But what you're seeing today is not how it got started. There was, there was cutting of teeth. There was going out there and trying to bring people in. There, there was the, 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 the struggles to pay the bills. And I know there was. There was a struggle to even keep their building open that was behind the old Shopco. And how God worked in all of that to bring them to, the, uh, to that location on Sycamore. And then to go from Sycamore to, to, to come to here. You know what, really, it's so easy to become complacent because the, the auditorium there in the old building was probably one section of what we have here. And we didn't have all this, this fancy sound system and we didn't have all the fancy lighting and fellowship hall and all of these things in a giant big parking lot where you had to park all the way on the other side of another street all the way across the park. If you remember that. I remember those days where you parked in the whole neighborhood. You lost 10 pounds just trying to get in the front door. I'm just telling you, it's really easy to get complacent. We, we come to a church and then it's easy to get complacent because we have a, a, a music program. And we have specials. I'm going to tell you this. I've, I've been in small works where, you, where I'm the special. And it's special, all right? I mean, it is special. But I'm going to tell you this, but to step from that into this environment to where, I mean, we don't have what I would call the same one person singing specials every single service because we have a list of people we can choose from. We don't have just one person playing an instrument for our offertories. We have, we have plenty, and we can just get used to it. We can just become complacent because we have all these Sunday schools where we can plug our kids into. We have junior church they can be a part of. We have vacation Bible school. And we can just become complacent and like, oh, we just have those things. And there's a lot of churches that don't have those things. See, it's real easy to get, get complacent in our lives. As a church, to get, get, get complacent. That we get to a point, well, look how many people we have here. There's so many churches in our area that aren't even nearly as close as this, and we could just get to a point and go, we'll be all right as long as we keep having some visitors come to church now and then and be less concerned about winning people that aren't already pre-made coming from another church. You know what I'm saying? About being complacent about our relationship in carrying out the great commission that Christ has given to us. Yeah. So it's really easy to get complacent in church. To sit there and take your songbook and be singing, and you've just gone all through these. I won't do this to you, but I wonder how many of you remember which songs we sang and which was the first hymn we sang tonight. I'm not going to call you out, but you, right now you, there's probably someone in here that's like, what was that first song? You know what? If you can't remember the first song we sang tonight, 
I'm just telling you this. It may be complacency because you just showed up and you're just going through the motions. You know, it's complacency when we can even in our giving. We can get complacent in our giving as a church that it has to take a special event to shock us to actually give with a cheerful heart. But other than that, then we're just like, there it is. There's 10%. There it is. Oh, I'll round up 75 cents. I gave an offering. Complacency. But I think a complacency is not just something that we look at at a church. You're like, you're just, just, I am not beating up our church. I'm just merely saying how complacency can be, be a part of a church. But let's just, it's easy to sit there and go, well, it's a church problem, and then we can get ourselves off the hook. Well, why don't we dial it in? Because a, a church is not just, not just some nebulous thing out there. It's actually made up of people that are trying to have a relationship with Christ. Right? And uh, we can get real complacent in our lives, lives uh, as, as believers. You know what I mean? That um, one of the great dangers, and I'm thankful that my kids have the opportunity to grow up in a Christian home. I am very thankful for it. And if you kids are from a Christian home, I'm going to tell you this. This is a great danger in your life is just to become complacent what has been given to you. Mom's going to drag us to church. We're going to do this. They're going to put me in this activity. They're going to make me go to camp. They're going to make me do this. They're going to make me do that. And here we go again. Got to get dressed up for church again. And you just get complacent about it. It's real easy in a personal level for where you guys are at. And some of you, I've known you, and I know how you've grown up. It's easy for you to get complacent. Because a lot of you that have grown up in Christian homes, there's many of them that are wrecks right now because they just got complacent with what was given to them. Yeah, they died. But we can get complacent. We can get complacent, you know, in, 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 our, in our prayer life. You ever notice that? You just go through your prayer life. But you have to have a triggering event in your life for you to actually get serious about praying in your life. It's just like, man, I have no idea how I'm going to pay that bill. And now all of a sudden, you're interested in praying with fervency? Like, man, my neighbor is going through a trial. They need someone to get a hold of God. And you're moved. And you'll move heaven and earth for them. And I wonder, why did it have to have that be to move heaven and earth? And why can't you want to do that on every single day? That's complacency. That when, when, then when I read my Bible and I read my little schedule and I just go through my thing and I'm not, again, I'm not against those things, but you, but you have to have some kind of triggering event to where you actually dig in the scriptures to find something for God to say to you to get you through that moment. God isn't just in the, in, in, in the sporadic moments, but he's into every single one of them. Yeah. See, it's, it's easy uh, again, in, in our lives, you just get, get complacent. It's easy to get complacent in, in your church attendance. You just show up. Just go through it. Man, probably most of us probably be, close our eyes and drive, drive like James probably over here. Make it to church all right. We never hit anything because we know where it's at. We can get through the front door. I don't need any aid or assistance. I can just sit down in my spot with my eyes closed and get up and go home and come back and do that. Tell me we can't get just get in the routine of just coming to church, coming to church, coming to church. Routine and doing the activities of the church. It's just routine. 
It's easy to get complacent, isn't it? It's, it's easy to get complacent, really even what I think even in our own lives, living a life of, of, of a practical holiness that God has called us to. And by that I mean, I didn't get saved till I was later. And, and for, for me, there were some radical changes that took place in my life when I got, when I got saved. But for many times, complacency can creep in to where I dropped off all these things and it's like I hit this wall of complacency and it just stopped there. It just stopped. And my growth and development into holiness has just stopped because I just got complacent because I'm content to where I'm at. Just content. I don't even bother to ask whether I should be listening to that or watching that or wearing that or going there anymore because I'm okay where I'm at. Yeah, for sure. So Christ is trying to deal with this problem, problem of complacency. I think the, prophet, the minor prophet Amos has said it rest. Best, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. He said, woe unto you. You are so complacent. And that didn't sit very well with him. God had the same message later on through another prophet. When he talked through Zephaniah, he said this, that he was going to search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees. You know what the lees are? The, the dregs, the solid part of wine, that would just settle to the bottom there. He said, you're settled, you're content, and I've warned you, I'm gonna punish you, and yet you just stay unmoved, unconcerned. You're complacent. Now, I tell you this, this is a, a, a sharp, should be a sharp warning to us, and what Christ then says to us in verse number two, um, uh, in uh, verse number two, it says, but watch thou and strengthen the things which remain. That word watch means, means this, chase sleep. What Christ is saying to this church is you need to wake up now. You need to wake up and strengthen that. In other words, that you're about to die. You're losing life. There's a hole in the boat. And it's time you wake up and you do something about it. And I, and I feel of the Lord to have a straightforward message like this because sometimes the only way we're snapped out of our complacency is by confrontation. That we have to be confronted about our own complacency because Christ is doing that. He's saying, watch, wake up. Do you understand where you're at? I told my wife, she had, took her a second to figure out where my thinking was and all this, but it find, made me think of the, the Finding Nemo scene there where the, that they're in the dentist office there, and, uh, and, and uh, that little girl, Dory, I think is her name? Is that her name? I can't remember. But she, she's coming there for her little fish that her, that her uncle gave her, and, uh, and then Nemo's swimming upside down in that bag. And then she's just with all violence. She's like, fishy, why are you sleeping? And I almost feel that that's what Christ is saying to us. Shaking us in that bag, we're swimming upside down because we're so complacent and then God is trying to shake our bag and trying to tell us, why are you sleeping? Why are you asleep? It's time to wake up. You're losing ground. You're dying. A slow, arduous death. You're dying. And then he says, then following that, he says, watch Watch and strengthen. And then he says this. He says, and um, 
It says, and remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. In other words, he's saying, okay, you need to wake up. You understand that you're dying right now. He says, what you need to do is this. You then need to remember how it was. Christ is saying this twice. It must be important. He said it earlier. Remember the life that you have given to me and that zeal you had to want to grow and have a relationship with me because zealousness is the opposite of complacency. And that zealousness that you had, that desire to want to grow every day, that desire you were never content where you were at, but you always wanted a little bit more. He said, I want you to remember that. And I want, you to, I want you to get back to that point because that's what repentance is dealing with. A realization that I have an honesty enough to say, God, I am complacent and then fill in the blank and say, I am complacent. And I remember when I wanted to storm the world for you that what every single message was like I was hearing an angelic voice from God trying to speak to me and to make things right. I remember those days, God, and I want to be back. I've just been sitting through service after service after service, and I've just been letting the words just go over my head, and I even smile and nod like I love them, and I don't do anything about that. Help me, God. I want to get back to where I was at. Wake me out of the sleep that I've gotten myself into. Christ is just saying, watch, wake up, remember and repent. And then like in every one of these letters, then he gives them encouragement, the reward, the reward for the, the believers at the end, how their names shall be confessed in heaven. In other words, I believe that what the, the reward part of it, just, to, just for sake of time, I believe what he was trying to say with the rewards is this. You want to stop being complacent in your life? then don't take your eyes off the prize. Don't take your eyes for a moment because all too often we're busy looking back and living in the past. And Christ doesn't want us to live in the past, but he wants us to press forward. Like what Paul said, I press towards the mark and the high calling of Christ Jesus. Paul, a man who you arguably say is one of the most gifted preachers that was out there, one of the most educated men in the things of God, and he, and he said, you know what? I am not happy with who I've been. How many churches have you started? How many thousands of people did you probably lead to the Lord? I mean, how many great miracles did you do by the hand of God? And that's not enough for you? And Paul said, no, no not really. There's still more. I want a little bit more. I don't know how much time I got, but if it's just 30 days, I'm going to get my best out of these last 30 days that I have. Yeah. Don't take your eyes off. Otherwise, there's more time to look at some other verses. But this is the part that I really was thinking about that would really challenge me to let me know <clears throat> that this is where God wants us to, to go Go with, with this idea of complacency. We just witnessed uh, a couple of weeks ago a most glorious reality. It's called back-to-back -back Super Bowl champions. I know. It might be the best team in the world with the best quarterback. Just saying. Just saying. Well, you shake your head, but hey, truth is truth. You can't deny reality. I mean, how many Super Bowl trophies have you held up in the last two years. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so the reality is, is this, so he said, what, what are you getting at? So when they were done with that, uh, there's a sports reporter for 
NBC. His name is Peter King. You might have heard of him before. And so Peter King got to have an interview with the head coach of the Chiefs, Andy Reid. And um, he sat down with Andy Reid, and he was going through all this interview. And, um, and so as he was going through this interview, the conversation um, took a, a turn that the, the Andy Reid, and this is for Kelly, their embarrassing loss to the Raiders. He referred back to that embarrassing loss by the Raiders, and it, I'll just tell you, it was flat ugly. And after that game, I thought, there's no way this team is winning the Super Bowl. It was just flat ugly. And, Reed thought, and it says this in the story, Reed thought back to the embarrassing physical beatdown the Raiders gave the, the team on Christmas Day. Then he reached out to Antonio Pierce, the Raiders coach, this week to thank him. So this is right after the game, in the locker room. And Peter King's like, thank him? Yeah, Reed said, I texted him. I just said, hey, beautiful facility, first of all, and I appreciate you kicking our tail. You taught us a lesson. You get complacent in this business. The margin between winning and losing is tiny. You better step up. There's a time and a place for these players that have been there before. You know what it takes. If you're the veteran that's dropping the ball or you're the veteran getting the penalties, you better figure it out. Figure it out quick. This season's going to go down. He had it right. He said basically this, and there's more to that interview if you watch it, but they basically thought, we're the champions. We're just going to walk into town, and they were content with who they were, and then they got a beating, a beating that they needed. And he said, I'm thankful for that. I got a beating. That moment changed their whole season right there. So I am thankful for the Raiders for that. And, uh, but that one moment changed their whole season to where Instead of ending in dismal failure, they ended up winning the, the championship. And this tonight might be that type of moment in your season where you're at. That this is the moment, this is the event that God is trying to say to you. You know what? This is awfully hard for a Wednesday night. But you know what? That's exactly what I need. This is, I've gotten complacent. I am just going through the motions. I just read my Bible. I just pray. I just go to church. I don't want to be the person that kills my church. I don't want to be that person. And God, I'm listening to you today, and I'm thankful for a long-winded, loud-mouthed preacher that brought your word tonight. And I want to come down here, and God, I'm just going to make things right. And not, not to try to guilt anyone into coming down here and, and, to, and to use an altar tonight, but I thought when I studied this message, I wonder if the reason why so many people don't use the altar anymore or have never come down is because they're just complacent. They just don't, oh, that was really good. Man, God really spoke to me. But I'm still looking for you. God's still looking for you. Yeah. You know what? This could be that moment in the season that changes your life, changes your church, Changes your family, changes your marriage relationship, changes your testimony even as teenagers in the life that you live. It could affect your outcome. If you'll listen to what Christ is saying to you here, this church in Sardis had a name, but they were dead. And he said, you don't need to be that way. He said, you, can, you don't get complacent or you'll end up where they're at. All right, let's go ahead and stand and we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll have an invitation here. God, I just thank you for the chance to look at your word today. God, I just uh, I pray that you'll help us to not be, be complacent 
in our lives. And I would ask, God, that your spirit would do its work. And I, and I believe that this is the message that you wanted tonight. And, and God, I, I just pray that, it, that your, the use of this message tonight, God, I, I do honestly pray, God, that it didn't come across mean-spirited or unkind, God. But God, I pray that it came across with the, the passion and the desire that you have, that you don't want us to be complacent. So God, I would pray as you would see fit, work in our invitation and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.